0: Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone had a absolutely wonderful weekend and is ready for another week ahead a lot of things that i want to talk about today on the podcast i'm going to be talking about nomadland hitting the festival circuit some brand new tenant drama to get into and a whole lot more but the first thing that i do want to get into on the San sandbiselle podcast is some unfortunate tragic news that happened over the weekend And last Monday, we were able to get through a weekend where there were no deaths to talk about in terms of celebrities that tragically passed away. Whereas the last few weeks, we I had to start off the show talking about a few such as Carl Reiner, who unfortunately passed away and unfortunately this weekend we lost two iconic legends in the world of entertainment really and the first one that i want to start with is olivia de halland who was 104 years old and is the last remaining star from the or one uh, from the golden age of cinema and is the last star in gone with the wind the critically acclaimed film that is one of the greatest films of all time is a landmark in cinema continues to be a landmark in cinema in different kind of ways both for social justice and social talks and also when you talk about movies and techniques and what that film really brought to the table when it came out in the late 30s and Olivia de Halland is somebody who again as I said was also one of the golden ages golden stars in that age of Hollywood which is so different from what it is nowadays and she's somebody that you remember as being an actress she was a five-time Academy Award nominee she won two times she lost to Hattie Hanlon for playing the role in Gone with the Wind in which she was the first woman of black color to win the Academy, win an Academy Award period and so it's just incredible in the fact that she was able to be helpful and be supportive of her in that kind of time period but then go on and win two more academy awards and be in some remarkable movies and she's remembered for her roles but she's also remembered for what she did for hollywood and again in that day and age of hollywood it was really controlled by the studios specifically when it comes to performers they were in contracts and contractually obligated to perform in roles that maybe they didn't really wanna do. But it was really more up to the studio. And what Olivia de Hallen did was really kind of break through that mold that had been set for so many years prior and saying, the studio will not control me. I control who I am. I control the roles that I want to do. So she was really a trailblazer in that sense that a lot of performers really kind of do that nowadays. And Olivia de Hallen was really the pioneer, the trailblazer that made that happen. And she will be incredibly missed. And, And I remember when I heard that it was her birthday, And hearing that she was 104, she was doing really well. She looked great for 104 years old. And to hear that she unfortunately passed away just due to natural circumstances, again, as I say in this day and age, it's better for that to happen, especially with COVID-19 going around, that... When you reach an age it's not because of a, of a disease that kills off senior senior citizens the elderly people with with pre-existing conditions that it's something else entirely but she will be missed and the same thing can be said for regis philbin who again passed away at the age of 88 years old on saturday same way as olivia de halen did due to natural circumstances and I, Regis Philbin is somebody for me who it really hit hard on Saturday. And it was probably the second hardest hitting news since Kobe Bryant passed away in terms of celebrities and people that you really know that are famous who tragically passed away. And I remember when I was little always waking up. And if I was ever sick from school, I would always pop open on ABC and at 9 o'clock be ready to watch live with Regis and Kelly because I wasn't around at the time when it was Regis and Kathy Lee that was way before my time period but as I started watching live with Regis and Kelly, I would start to learn more about the history, and I know people that have wanted to be hosts and wanted to be entertainers, and one of those reasons, one of the icons that they always look up to is Regis Philbum. The guy was just an entertainer from beginning to end, and as you've heard the stories over the last few days, because of his death, you've heard people say that Regis was him, and you always hear about some hosts and some celebrities and some entertainers that have a personality and that's what you see in front of the camera, but they're a completely different person Behind it, they're not the person that you would have maybe see and 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 really think that that's who just they are through and through. But apparently with Regis Regis Philbin was that person from beginning to end. There was no on and off switch. Behind the camera, in front of the camera, offset, onset, he was the same person through and through. And he just was somebody that was able to just have this talent of connecting with audiences. And I think in when it comes to morning news, morning shows, and the 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 priorities that come with it, what people are looking forward to and looking towards in morning television, we just really embodied that and being somebody that can just connect with audience members and he was just able to kind of tell stories like he was just another regular person like he was just one of the people going through p- things that people were going through and i think he really kind of changed the game when it came to ad-libbing on shows and when you're uh, someone who's a talent and i know this from being in front of and behind the camera of having your talent ad lib for a little bit and for talent that could be a little hard to do because they just don't – they're not really able to come up with something really quick and be able to do something really quick. And it's only for like a minute or two, and then you go on to report the news or do what you're doing, whether it's on a sports show, an entertainment show, a news show. But with Regis, the the, the first 20 minutes of live with Kathy Lee and with, with Kelly was – all I lived for the first opening of it was just kind of talking about their day, what they were doing. And it really came from Regis, who really just loved to talk about his life and just kind of connect with people in that kind of way. And I don't think really anybody has that same kind of talent and can just be somebody who everybody universally loves. There, there was not really one bad thing you could say about the guy and, and what he was doing. In, in his talent and who he was being with. And again, I I was listening to the interview with Kathy Lee when she was talking on to the on the Today Show and, and Kelly Rippa as well, who was saying that she was hoping that Regis would Regis Philbin would be that person that just would always age but never die and that he would live on forever and ever but that just wasn't meant to happen and I thought the same thing too it just came as a shock that even when he left the show in 2011 and he wasn't a ripe old 20 or 30 years old but for his age in 2011 he looked really good like he could still be doing the show for another 5 years or so and even even last year the year before I was looking at videos he still looked really good maybe a lot more gray hair but and a little bit older but somebody who was still had a, a pep in his step somebody who was still working and was just always just wanted to be around people and unfortunately we, we lost somebody that we can aspire to be that people that are looking to be talents in in entertainment are looking to be hosts such as what he did on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. I think people can really take away from the talent and what he was able to do and that's been happening for many many years now and I think it'll just be amplified in now that he is deceased now and honoring that legacy going forward. So my hearts go out to both the Hallen family of Olivia DeHalland and for the family and friends of Regis Philbin, who passed away this weekend. Regis Philbin at the age of 88 and Olivia DeHalland at the age of 104 years old. Moving on now to some news from this weekend that came out. But before I get to any news that came out this weekend, I want to get to some news that came out earlier this morning. And the first one that I do want to get into is the breaking news for some more Tenet drama that is underway and in our lives for us to consume. And in the latest chapter of this odyssey that has been going on ever since the COVID-19 pandemic was underway, and it seemed like Tenet was going to be the film that anchored theaters coming back into prominence in some way, shape, or form. It seems like that is finally going to be happening, not just for theaters here in the United States, but overseas as well. As last Monday, it was announced that Tenet was being pulled from its August twenty-first. Excuse me, not August 21st, August 12th release date and being delayed indefinitely. But Warner Brothers said that they would, in the immediate future, have plans for a different rollout scheme or different rollout plan that they were looking to do with this film and not do the traditional day and date release for tenant rollout internationally forced and then do it in in phases in the united states because you can't really have a global opening for the united states because different states are going through different advances of the coronavirus at this given moment in time And this Monday, it seemed like they went through those plans and announced what new strategy they're going to be employing. And it seems like Tenet will be debuting overseas first, and it is announced for an August 26 release date that it will be coming out overseas in different territories. And this includes Australia, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, Korea, Russia, Spain, and some of the UK territories as well. And some other ones include Sweden, Turkey, Holland, Portugal, Switzerland, Egypt, Finland, Belgium. Those are just a few that will be coming out on August 26th of this year. And then for its domestic debut, it is looking at Labor Day weekend, which was just occupied by Quiet Place Part 2, that which was then moved to April of next year. And it'll have a date of September 3rd in select cities so it's not going to be a world or a domestic worldwide debut for tenant it's going to be in certain cities and there has not been an announcement yet of what those cities are going to be specifically it could be in somewhere in texas it could be in the state of california potentially which i highly doubt because they're going through a rise in coronavirus cases right now same thing really with texas so texas california florida they're probably off the table, but places such as maybe Massachusetts, Maine, Virginia, South Carolina, or and not 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 really South Carolina, because they're under they're they're not opening any theaters just yet, but in the middle of the country as well. Places, theaters, there are about 30, 35, or around 30 states that are open right now that have allowed theaters to reopen. And it seems like it would make sense for them to put it in those areas first and say, you know what, whatever money we make overseas, we can add it to what states we can have right here, right now. And then if New York, LA, California open back up again in the immediate future, we can release it there when it's at the the, the governance re- leisure that they want to open it up there for people to watch. And the question I think becomes, once again, is, is this going to stick? I think with the, with the international release dates, I think those will stick because it seems like internationally, a lot of the other territories have a control of what COVID is and they've had a downturn, they flatten the curve and they've opened back up theaters. And one of the things that I think according to reports that gave warner brothers a confidence that they can release overseas first is that in the korean box office the there seemed to be a big opening weekend last week and this week as well that they're confident that you know what people are clamoring to go back to the theaters people have been clamoring to just kind of go out and about again and if people feel like they are safe going out into the theaters then they'll be fine of going back out there and enjoying themselves inside a theater. And I think that's why they had the confidence saying, we'll wait and we'll see what happens with with this movie. And there has also been no release say yet for China, which is the second biggest worldwide box office territory that is at stake here. And the first one is of course North America, but if you can get that Chinese box office back in game, then I think Tenet has a really good shot as well. And it was also the fact that a lot of theater owners were not very happy about this in terms of sticking with Tenet, sticking with Warner Bros and saying, "You know what? <laughs> You're going to be the film that brings us back into the game. You're going to be the film that brings us back into the spotlight, back to reopening and trying to churn out more product, more business, and just get back to some kind of normalcy in some kind of way. And it seems like that has been the case, again, since day one, since March happened, when a lot of other studios moved their films to 2021, but Tenant was that one film, was from that one studio that moved other films to, to later in the year or to next year, but Tenant was still on its release date of July 17th, and that's when it really became evident that it's not going to move, but it's going to lead whenever that is going to be the case for this. And so to see Tenant still be that movie, I mean, this is just what is gonna happen and like i was saying last week this makes total sense this is something that i think needed to happen i think in a world where there's so much uncertainty in a world that that you got to play a little differently by the rules that you have standards that you have you have everything in place but you need to tear that up and do something new and this is what the studios need to do do something new not have a day to date release roll it out slowly throughout countries first and then excuse me have a comeback in the United States of America then that's what needs to happen for this to work if that's what needs to happen then that's what needs to happen and so i think for this movie it's it's we'll see what happens but i think there's some questions about what will happen domestically but it's going to be interesting to see what happens it with, within the United States as well. So what do you guys think about this? Let me know down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts below. Moving on now to Nomadland. And people are saying, well, what's Land? Well, I'll tell you what Nomadland is. But the significance of Nomadland is that it's going to be hitting the film festival circuit, specifically the fall festival circuit, for this award season. And before I get into that, I do want to talk about Nomadland a little bit to give you some insight into the film. It's directed by Chloe Zhao, who if people have heard of that name, well, it sounds familiar, it should sound familiar because Chloe Zhao is is also the director for the brand new Marvel Studios film, The Eternals. So she's kind of breaking out right now with these indie films, but then she'll be breaking out of that mold even bigger with The Eternals film coming out next year in 2021. And it stars Frances McDermott in her first major role since winning the Best Actress Oscar for three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. And it is about Frances McDermott, who plays a woman who packs her van and sets off on the road to explore life outside the conventional society as a modern-day nomad following the economic collapse of her company down in rural Nevada. And it sounds really interesting. I've heard some really good things about it. There's been no trailer for it as of right now, but it is going to be debuting at the Fall Festival Circuit this year and is really the first major studio movie to be debuting in the Fall Festival circuit at this given moment in time. It's coming from Searchlight Pictures, and it'll be debuting at the Venice and Toronto Film Festival on September 11th, and then will be the centerpiece at the New York Film Festival, while also having a special drive-in screening called Telluride from Los Angeles. And this is part of the initiative that the festivals announced a few weeks ago in which that they will be really kind of uniting in sharing these films and not kind of competing to gain one of them over the other. So I think the fact that they're able to kind of share these movies and if you can't make one festival, you can go to another, but just the fact that they'll be able to get potential people to go to these festivals whether they're online or in person i think it it makes a whole lot of sense and i don't know if these festivals are going to be big in terms of the movies that they're going to get this is a a, it sounds like it's going to be a major oscar contender potentially and it it has that written all over it search like pictures is a company a prestigious company that churns out a lot of Oscar worthy material, whether it wins Oscars or is just nominated or is just in the conversation. Last year, for example, the big one for them was Jojo Rabbit, same thing a year before. The favorite was the big one for Searchlight as well. So they have a history of really kind of churning out some big material, and this could be one of them in that moment in time as of right now. So we'll see. But the fact that you get a big star like francis McDermott, who is a darling within the indie sphere and the award circuit and the festival circuit, I think I think is a is a big get for them. And the fact that they're going to premiere going to be premiering this stuff within these festivals makes a whole lot of sense and we'll see how it plays out. We'll see what happens with it. And again, with everything going on right now, I think just seeing how it plays out is just the way to go. And people could say, well, they could have just Went away from it. They could have just waited for, for 2021. There's not going to be anything big. But if you still can have a festival in some kind of way, and you can act as a, uh, as a distractment, and you can do it safely, then I think that is the importance of these festivals and just kind of keeping them On board, And so I think that's the things that can be taken away from this story. What do you guys think about Nomadland hitting the festival circuit? Let me know down below and leave your thoughts. And the final two things that I want to talk about today is getting away from the movie news a little bit. Well, a little bit, but still stay on top of that just a tiny bit. And going to some recaps for what was a pretty big weekend in terms of, movie news, TV news, and the industry in general. And that is the Comic-Con at home panels that occurred from Thursday through Sunday and was in replacement of what was supposed to be the annual San Diego Comic-Con International Festival that was supposed to happen over the weekend, which is the biggest Comic-Con panel of the year. It is one of the most landmarked nerd fest of the year that people dress up in and enjoy the convention floor. They go to panels, they go to different Q&As, and of course, they go there to find out the news of all future projects, current projects that are in the pipeline for. Incredible studios like Warner Brothers, Marvel Studios, of course, which has made a name for themselves in Hall H, DC, Disney sometimes has done things there as well. So Comic-Con has really been that big place that is like a rock concert, and it's really kind of unmatched in what it can really— do for the entertainment industry and just kind of being a a a once-in-a-lifetime event. And unfortunately, because of COVID-19, that just was not able to happen this year. So people, again, were wondering what's going to happen. What are they going to do with ComCon? Is it just not going to be anything until it was announced a few months ago that they will be trying these at-home virtual panels? And that's what we got this weekend from panels such as The Walking Dead to New Mutants to a panel about Bill and Ted Face the Music and even just some Q&A ones like a one on Charlize Theron and The Evolution of a Badass to a few Collider panels that I really enjoyed. One that was a anniversary panel for Constantine, the Keanu Reeves film. Another one about the directors and they had a panel on with Robert Rodriguez, Joseph Krasinski, and Colin Trevorrow and they talked about the process of filmmaking and i gotta say it's not the same experience and i checked a few of these panels out it's not the same incredible experience that you would get like new mutants is probably the biggest movie panel that came out of this weekend. And it was it was cool. And I talked about it on Friday, which you can check that episode on. And it, it was cool. Again, it, it was cool to see clips and nothing major happened, but it was good to see the cast talk about it, but didn't have that same kind of feeling. But it was great for everyone else to kind of experience this, who can't go to Comic-Con or can't afford a year or so and, and, and just have to hear the news or kind of see a YouTube videos of, of, of these panels to actually be a part of it, that part of it is cool. But it just, it didn't have that same experience feeling. And I don't think you were, they were able, they were going to be able to replicate that in any kind of way, shape, or form. But the way that they, they kind of had these panels, I think were interesting. My favorite in my mind was the Charlize one, the, the charlize Theron Evolution of the Badass, which it was a, a one-on-one conversation with an IGN panelist, and Charlize. And they just kind of talked about her filmography, specifically what it meant to be a female action star and the trials and tribulations it goes through. And she, I think, really kind of revealed some interesting insight into early on in her career about what it was like to work in the early 2000s and trying to become an action star when it kind of failed. And she was kind of in action purgatory in a little bit. But then Mad Max Fury Road came in and she rose and, and elevated her career as an action star from there. And then Atomic Blonde happened, The Old Guard, Fast and Furious 8 happened. There were all these movies that kind of contributed to her becoming one of the biggest action stars in the world, period. Not even just male or female. You can put her up there with... The guys as well, and she is one of the top action stars, period. And so to kind of hear her story of why she wanted to get into action, why she continues to do it, her her worth ethic, her process, her mindset, it, it was just incredible to kind of hear that. So I think to—again, it didn't replicate that experience that you would get at a Comic-Con, but— there is a flip side, a positive side where people like me who can't really afford to, to to really go to a Comic-Con at this particular moment in time, we're just able to enjoy the panels and at least be a part of that and to, to just be a part of the big panels like a New Mutants or Walking Dead or go to some of the smaller ones that are like a, a directing panel or a – acting panel and to kind of hear from people themselves and, and about the, the ethic and the worth ethic they really go through as somebody who really loves this industry and and wants to get into it and loves to hear from directors about what their experiences are like. I think is really kind of mind blowing and incredible. So again, nothing insane, nothing incredible, nothing that was, oh my God, this is incredible. This needs to be the future, which I think down the line, maybe in order for the company to save some money, They could go down this road years and years from now, but I think in the immediate future, they're gonna go back to San Diego Comic-Con and putting on those incredible insane Hall H's where studios come out they enjoy it and they can just have a good time with it and so i think going forward it's going to be interesting again fun cool but nothing that was as memorable as maybe potentially going to a san diego comic-con but again under the circumstances i think comic-con at home did a great job the people who work at comic-con putting all this stuff together the panels ign collider just to name a few were incredible and just and just w- and getting information out of a lot of these these artists and, and talking to them. It, w- it was really fun. It was fun. Again, fun, nothing spectacular, but again, a fun time nonetheless. And I highly recommend checking them out on the Comic-Con International YouTube channel when you get a chance. And the last thing that I do want to talk about on this podcast is another con that did ha- happen this weekend. And it was one of the first ones. It was very kind of grassroots. It was nothing popular. However it was peppered in with some very popular people coming in, coming on for panels. Specifically, it was a Justice Con panel. It was talking about Justice League in the DC Universe. And they had some really interesting people on. Ray Fisher who plays Cyborg, had a panel of his own, and which he talked about kind of his process and, and what he really kind of went through in making Justice League. Then they, of course, also had on the one and only Mr. Zack Snyder to talk about his version of Justice League, which will be debuting on HBO Max in 2021. And people were wondering, is he gonna put something on, on th- this channel? Is he gonna reveal a whole lot of information? And while he did reveal a little bit of information, seems like he's saving a lot of it for the dc fandom on august 22nd which is going to be dc's version of their whole h comic-con where for 24 hours you can go on and kind of investigate all of these amazing panels that dc is going to put on about their movies, their TV shows, their comics, everything you can think of about DC, it's gonna be on that fandom. And one of the highly anticipated events of that is more stuff about Zack Snyder's Justice League. And he talks about how at the fandom, he wants to come out with the trailer, the, the title for the film, because everyone's calling it The Snyder Cut, Zack Snyder's Justice League, but there's no definitive title for it yet. So we're gonna get that at the FanDome. We're also gonna be getting the, kind of the format of the movie because when it was first announced, in May that this was happening, there was a Hollywood Reporter article that came out saying, well, it could be a a three-plus-hour movie. It could be a a six-episode miniseries. So there's debate about what it's going to be, and it seems like they have come up with a decision of what it's going to be, and they're going to wait to announce it from about a little under a month from now. And the title and a trailer and full definitive trailer of what this is going to be, because with, with this, they, they really don't need to film anything else. So they have everything that they need to to put out a trailer. It's just about is what Zach wants to do with the movie. Is the coloring right? Is the visual effects up to par that you could put out a trailer so it doesn't look kind of clunky or funky. And it seems like they have that ready to go. But when he did come to this Justice Con, he didn't come in empty handed. And he did release uh, an 18 second little bit of footage, but just in those 18 seconds, it talked a lot and really kind of, it, it really informed us a lot about the dramatic changes that are gonna be made to this movie. Specifically in that 18 second footage, it was what was a deleted scene on the Justice League cut that was made in 2017. But there was a big difference in it in the fact that Superman, it was a conversation between Superman and Alfred, and this time, instead of having the, the the blue and the red suit, it was the full-on black suit Superman that Snyder had been teasing for a long, long time, and it seemed like he confirmed to hear that Superman will be wearing the black suit. And it just it was another thing that this there's gonna be a lot of differences here, and he talked about how he that Henry Cavill himself didn't put on a black superman suit because apparently the studio didn't really want the the black superman suit to happen and it seemed like that they wanted to keep it black and blue or not black and blue excuse me they wanted to keep it black and uh, not black and red they wanted to keep it blue and red but instead Zack snyder wanted to go the black suit route and it just didn't seem like he won in that instance and the, another thing that, that I thought was really cool is the fact that when talking to this Justice, Justice Con panel, he talked about Josh Whedon a little bit. And, and he didn't mention him by name, but he talked about how he was replaced and that that he didn't really have a say of who replaced him because of everything that happened in 2017. And the studio seemed like they really wanted Josh Whedon to take over the rings, bring the experience he brought with the Avengers movies that he made into crafting the kind of movie they wanted to craft. And it really became a, a studio movie. And Zack Snyder also commented on a question that was asked about, you know, is any of the footage that was in Josh Whedon's cut going to make it to the snyder cut and to preface that i think when when asked a question it's more about oh, do you need any additional film filming to do or is there stuff from whedon's cut that you can use for the snyder cut and this is what he said he said there would be no chance on earth that I would use a shot that was made after I had left the movie. I would destroy the movie. I would set it on fire before I use a single frame that he did not photograph. And that is, excuse me, a effing hard fact. And I think a lot of people could say this to be like, oh, wow, why is he being selfish or why is he kind of just discrediting the other movie like it never happened? But I think kind of what he's saying here again is the fact that the stuff that was made after me, I don't need that for my movie because that stuff that was in that movie, that was never in my vision. The stuff that I filmed is in my vision and I don't need any of the other stuff that came after me. Everything that I have with me before me that I can edit together is all that I need to complete this this version that I have of, of JL and he also talked about how and this was from another panel that happened where it was talked about how the snyder Cut is going to be really kind of its own Elseworld film and like i was talking about last week when he did that interview with beyond the trailer where he said that it's going to be its own kind of graphic novel and that it's going to be its own kind of universe and that it's not going to be just attached to the connective tissue of the dcu it's going to be Its own little separate adventure that people aren't going to have to be worried about well how does this connect to this or does is this going to connect to aquaman or is this going to connect to the wonder woman franchise what's going to happen and so i think it kind of eases expectations with that role and and with what's happening and so i really kind of took away from this that zach has an idea again of what he wants to do and i'm excited for that dc fandom but also in hearing a lot about this stuff from Zack Snyder and from from Ray Fisher a, as well about kind of accountability and not really divulging anything more about those Josh Whedon comments that he made, but saying that there could be more stuff down the road about what went down with that of, of more than what I can say, which means probably they're maybe trying to work out getting him and other people maybe out of those NDA agreements. And this also brings me to the fact about Warner Brothers, the fact that... I, they, it seems like they definitely made a lot of mistakes with whatever leadership was in position with DC and the head of them when making these movies. And I got to give them major props for and for WarnerMedia to decide to reopen this can of worms, reopen Pandora's box, and let Zack Snyder finish what he wants. To because they themselves, it seems like they're opening themself, themselves up stuff that really happened behind the scenes that turned really, really ugly for everybody involved in this and that this really wasn't a pretty end to the finish line that I think a lot of people thought happened when this movie came out in November and the fact that they're able, that they're willing to kind of go through this and put themselves under the, the hood a little bit and showing that they have some accountability for what happened, I think, really throughout the entire tenure for Zack Snyder with this DC Universe from 2013 to 2017, really, and how they've changed throughout the last few years. They've seemed to make it more friendly for directors to make the films that they want to make and not worried about the connective tissue, whereas they were a lot they were worried a lot more in the years of justice league than they are in, in the post era of justice league so i give them props for kind of opening up this box that there's going to be some dirt on them that it's going to be spread around a little bit and that it's not going to look good for the studio a little bit but if this works out really well for zach for them that this could lead to a more successful story down the road for them so i think this is again going to be interesting i'm excited to hear more about it during the the dce fandom or the dc fandom and to, to really learn a lot more details. But the fact that this was kind of the first time this Justice Con was happening, and you get big names like Ray Fisher, Ray Porter, who vo- was who's voicing Darkseid, Zack Snyder to talk about his process of making this movie it's going to be very interesting it was very interesting so i give him a lot of props for that and i'm excited to see what happens down the road what do you guys think about this news regarding the snyder cut of justice league and some of the details that Zack snyder brought what did you think about the black superman outfit let me know and i'm going to put that in as a twitter poll did you like that did you not like that let me know yes no and give me your comments in the twitter section and leave your thoughts but guys, that's going to do it for this edition of the Sam Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more also make sure to tune in onto the ambiguous podcast solutions and be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on there such as you mad bro their number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis also check out goal-driven professionals geared toward improving client relations return on investment and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services also check out the daily grind a weekly motivational podcast with kelly johnson giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals along the way you can check out these other shows such as as Wrestle Attic Radio, Fretzel Mania Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You can check those out and a whole lot more on the website, ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com. Also on Facebook and Twitter at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, make sure to follow me on social media as well. You can find me on Twitter at Bissell Samuel. That's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L. Again, that's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L. And on Facebook at Sam Bassell. Thank you guys again so much and until next time, keep on screening.